From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for uh, Wednesday, June 19th, the year 2019. Uh, We are joined, as always, um, by Mr. Danny Flecka. Hello, sir. How you doing, man? I'm wonderful. Um, uh, I'm trying to figure out why Teen Choice Awards is trending. And that's because it looks like the Teen Choice Awards nominees have been announced. Do you want to go through them? I'm good. I'm, that's not something I'm going to be watching. <laughs> no, you're not? You're not interested in that? Okay. Um... Alright, this is, this is one of my favorite games to play with people who I, who I have on for random topics. Do you know any reason why blank is trending on Twitter? Cracker Barrel is currently trending on Twitter in the U.S. Do you know why that is? Do they come out with something new or do they get in trouble? They barred a Tennessee pastor who called for LGBTQ executions and sermons. Yeah, that'll do it. I'm not sure why that is. Um, and then hashtag BAPS is trending. I do not know what that is. Um, uh, okay, it's, it's, it's the name of a new uh, collaboration with Nicki Minaj and Trina Rockstar, or Trina Rockstar, called BAPS. Um, Nicki Minaj is a very interesting person. And then, also trending, and maybe you can explain this one, because I haven't seen it yet, I just got home. Scotland versus Argentina. Scotland goes out of the Women's World Cup after a retaken penalty? Yeah, it might have had something to do with VAR. I actually saw a game earlier in the Women's World Cup between... Uh, Jamaica and Italy, there was a penalty kick um, for Italy. They took the penalty kick. The Jamaican goalkeeper saved it, but as soon as it was done, they reviewed it, and they noticed with the bar that the goalkeeper had stepped off the line prior to the referee uh, blowing the whistle, so they retook the penalty kick, and uh, Italy ended up scoring on it. Um, and I'm trying to... Um, for those out there who are not uh, big time soccer watchers, what is the current use of VAR? Because I thought the previous use of VAR was just did the goal go in or not, and was the person off sides or not. So, what's the full use of VAR these days? So, it's a complicated subject for me, at least. You know, it. it it's something that in scenarios in soccer, just like in any other sport, you know, you want the, the official to get it right. You want the video to show inclusive evidence that the, the call can get overturned. So in regards to offside, offside is, is done by VAR. However, there is no overturning or anything like that. So basically in soccer, an offside is when the, the ball is going to a, an attacking player and that attacking player is past the last defender on the team. So what the video review system automatically does is draw a line and the 
uh, on the furthest point of the body part of the defender, um, and if any part of the attacker is past that line, it is automatically offside. So there's no like real review with it. They'll they'll buzz in and they'll just say offside. Um, you know, you can't really challenge it. Can't really you know do anything about it. So that's pretty straightforward. You know, cut and clear. Um, the one issue with that is that they've instructed the referee to not raise the flag right away. So when the assistant referee isn't raising the flag right away, the play continues. And on that, you could have somebody score a goal or you could have an injury or maybe you have a uh, play where there is another penalty or something like that. So that, to me, is a terrible system. You know, you should either call it outside or not call it outside. Um, but the video review, you know, the assistant referees have been notified not to raise the flag right away, kind of let it play on. Very similar to what you see, like, in basketball when they're taking, three-pointers and then, you know, at a commercial break, you know, they review it to see if it's a, a two-pointer or a three-pointer. It's kind of a similar situation. Um, then the video review system comes come to play for, you know, handballs. Uh, if a foul has occurred outside the penalty box, you know, did it incur inside the penalty box? Um, you know, situations like this on a penalty kick. It's so, to me, taking a little too long to review the, the plays, you know. And like any video review system, the slower you make the replays, you know, the worse everything looks, and you kind of take away from from the flow of the game. Well, lo and behold, um, it was that same reason that 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 um, that that stop was disallowed. Uh, the goalie did leave; uh, her, her foot was off the line, off her line before the kick was taken. The Argentinian player. Uh, whose name I will not attempt to pronounce, um, Florencia Bolsengundos, uh, made her second kick, and it helped for a three-goal a, a three comeback uh, for Argentina to tie Scotland and ultimately knock Scotland out of the Women's World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a game of inches like in any other sport, and the problem is, is you know, as a player, you have to now... You know, figure out a way to, to play the way you've been playing without getting these types of uh, situations to occur. Because I can tell you what, before a video review system, I, I wouldn't doubt that at 50% of the penalty kicks taken, the goalie left early. So, you know, it, it's a, again, a microscopic detail that when you review things over and over and over again and slow things down frame by frame by frame, you're going to pick up on these things. So, it, it's part of, the, part of the game now, just like in every other sport, so it's just something we have to get used to as viewers. And that's what I was going to bring up in terms of um, our, our conversation last week about, um, excuse me, our conversation last week about um, uh, reviewing pass interference, that how many, you know, what's that line between you know, it, it, get, it gets reviewed, and uh, yes, technically that was pass interference. And then, but it's ticky tack versus what happened in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, it's tough because uh, as an official, and the one thing in soccer too, you know, in bigger games, they have a fourth official that's on the goal line. Um, to, to help with the, these types of calls. And if you're not making these calls live, and then you have somebody in a booth reviewing them, um, it, it takes away from, you know, what are these referees watching? What are they calling? What are they seeing? And why aren't these things being called live? And it's almost, you know, allowing for results to be altered. And in this case, the result was altered. You know, you had 
uh, stop on a penalty kick, which is extremely hard to do. And they, you know, most likely when you go back up again, you're not going to miss the second time. So it's a t- it's a fine line. I, I don't know where that line is, or, or you know how people are going to govern it. But again, as a viewer, you just something you have to get used to, and you got to hope that as these systems become more uh, more ingrained into the culture of the games that we watch that they find uh, a process that allows us not to have to worry about uh, every single play being reviewed or stoppages, etc. So it, it's a new thing for soccer. They've been slowly rolling it out based off of leagues and tournaments, etc. So we'll see what happens. And I know that uh, the Premier League, I think, will be having it um, next year. So I think all the major soccer leagues and tournaments will be utilizing it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects any sort of title races, games, etc. So we'll, we'll see. And to your point about um, how this is a whole new world, Grant Wall from SI and Fox, test tournament for VAR and men's soccer before the Men's World Cup was the Confederations Cup, among others. There was no test event for VAR in the Women's World Cup, and 99% of the on-field officials in the Women's World Cup are different than the Men's World Cup. Yeah, so you, you're, you know, putting referees in a situation they're not used to. You're putting players in a situation they're not used to. You know, unfortunately for the women's uh, game, there, are, there aren't as many tournaments leading up to the World Cup, you know, like in, in the men's game. So, you know, utilization of that type of technology or review system hasn't been used. So, it's again, it's interesting, it's unfortunate that a result was changed because of it, that the team had to go home early. But it's, it's part of, it's part of the, the fabric of the sports viewing uh, culture now. Every single sport now has some sort of video review system that they're, that they're utilizing. And, you know, we see it work sometimes, we see it not work sometimes, and it's just going to be how these governing bodies utilize, you know, their mistakes and, and make them better, or they just scratch it all together. I, I don't know, but I, I don't know where that line is, like I mentioned, but it is something that has to be figured out if it's going to be utilized on a day-to-day basis. Talking to Danny Flecken and his weekly appearance on Teeing It Up. Um, this was a great win for the Yankees today. They sweep the Rays. They win 12-1. to They put up a sixth spot in the first inning. Snell can't get out of the first inning. All six runs are charged to him. And when uh, position players have to pitch for the opponent, it's a good day for the team that you root for. CC gets his 250th career victory. And uh, basically, the entire Yankee lineup, except for Cameron Mabin, got a hit today. At, at, at least one hit. And, that's when, oh, and, and, and Luke Voigt, these starters. Um, that's when you know it's a good game when basically your whole lineup... Uh, Oh, plus Aaron Hicks. All right, let's try it again. Everybody except Voight, Hicks, and Maven got a hit today. That's when you know it's a good day. Yeah, the Yankees, as we talked about last week, were kind of stumbling a little bit after that Red Sox series. Um, you know, this is a big, big series for them. The Red Sox have won six straight, you know, six out of seven they lost last night. Um, so they needed these games to kind of cushion their lead a little bit. Stanton's back now. Judge should be back soon. They made a big trade, you know, over the weekend for Carcione. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Yankees utilize all these pieces now. You know, we've talked about it numerous times. You know, I consider these guys coming back as a big trade because they haven't played the first half of the season. And every all the production you're going to get from them is going to come in the second half of the season. Um, 
you know, I, I feel for some guys on that team, like Clint Frazier, who was uh, moved to make room for Incarcion, and that to me just screams that he's being dangled in trade bait. You know, they're going to probably use him to uh, get another starter because that's a, a one part of the team that you really need to solidify. So, you know, if there has to be a sacrificial lamb for all these types of things. I think that the Edwin and Carson was more of a prevention move more than like an add to the team. You know, they were trying to prevent, I think, Tampa Bay or Boston or the Twins or whoever from getting him. Um, so kudos to Cashman for having that, that foresight and that aggression to make that move. But, you know, at, at the same time, you got to make room for these players and you're going to have to get rid of some of their prospects to, to get the other pieces that they need. Uh, Judge could be back as early as Friday. He's playing tonight again in right field for Scranton Wilkes-Barre. And if tonight goes well, it could be as early as Friday. Yeah, so, I mean, that lineup, you know, looks great on paper. But we've seen these types of things from the Yankees before where they get all these pieces and they load up. And, unfortunately, you know, all the bats go cold in October. The hope is that this lineup becomes deep enough that you can't pitch around it. You can't manipulate your bullpen to, to get the matchups that you want. And then you have a threat every single time somebody comes up. And realistically, based off of paper, one through nine, this might be one of the best lineups, you know, come August, September that has been rolled out in a long, long time. So the, the hope is, you know, from a fan perspective, these players stay healthy, they, they stay consistent, and you get the production from them that you need in October. So basically what um, Brian Cashman appears to be doing when Judge comes back is it'll become... Judge every day, Stanton every day in the outfield, and Hicks. Gardner becomes pinch running and defensive and the fourth outfielder. And um, Encarnacion and uh, Voigt, uh, no, uh, and, and someone else, I forget who offhand, trade being DH. Um, it's an interesting situation in the sense that not only is Clint Frazier potential trade bait, but Brett Gardner could be potential trade bait. Yeah, I don't think Gardner's going anywhere just because he's a Yankee through and through. This is probably his last season with them. I don't know what type of value he necessarily brings back if he's not on the Yankees for another team. Um, he's one of those guys that he's more valuable on the Yankees than probably any other team, just given his, his tenure there, his stature in the clubhouse, etc. So I don't know what type of value he has. But you could look at guys that maybe you didn't think about possibly moving, and one of those guys could be Didi. You know, he's on the last year of his contract, given the emergence of Torres, LeMahieu, and Urshela. You know, maybe he's somebody that gets dangled out there, um, you know, for a, a pitcher. But, um, you know, Gardner, I think, is safe. I think, you know, all the names that you mentioned are safe. I just think I, I think of guys like Clint Frazier um, and even guys, too, like Luis Sessa and, and Domingo Germán, you know, guys who have contributed to the team this year that, you know, might be, you know, luxuries for the Yankees, but really assets for other teams and could fetch them, you know, a starting pitcher with, you know, a year or so left in their contract that they can hold and, you know, have in control and then figure out if they want to re-extend them. And, yeah, and, and Carnacion and Voigt will share first and uh, DH, and that's how that will work. Um, we can't forget, though, I mean, we can't talk about the Yankees without touching on what what Tanaka did uh, the other night going with a complete game. Um, they're so rare these days, but man, when they happen, they can be a whole 
games a, a a whole series changer and game changer for your team, Danny, when you're able to rush your bullpen like that and he threw a two hitter. Yeah, I mean Tanaka has historically pitched pretty well against Tampa in the Bronx. Um, you know, when his splitter is, is sinking like that, when he has the movement on his sinker and his slider, he's almost untouchable, you know, and he pitches to contact and he had a lot of ground balls that game. He's efficient. Um, you know, he did have 10 strikeouts, but, um, you know, when he had that splitter going and it's not hanging in the zone, he's tough, he's tough to hit. And his biggest bug over the last couple of years has been the, the long ball. So, and that's usually because the splitter isn't, isn't dipping in the zone or doesn't have that late movement that he relies on. So when Tanaka is able to pitch like this, you know, you hope that every four out of five outings or, or whatever it may be, he comes out like this. You know, he's always he's going to have a clunker every once in a while if that's human nature. It's a long season. But he's arguably the best pitcher on that staff. And when he pitches like he did the other night, you know, you got to feel really good when you have the opportunity to go into a, a, a seven-game series knowing that if he pitches like that two out of three games that you're going to be in good shape. We are talking to Danny Flecky here on uh, Teeing It Up. All right. Um, let's go back to soccer for a second. What's up with stars misbehaving? Now we have Neymar. He just has been there two years. Now they're talking about trading him. We talked about this online and off air. But for the folks out there who don't understand, is this equivalent to Antonio Brown wanting out with years left on his deal? Is this equivalent to what Anthony Davis just did getting out of New Orleans? Like, what is this equivalent to? And, and what Neymar... I mean, it sounds like it's the manager or the owner having the issues, not the player, but what's the what's the American sport equivalent? I, I kind of compare him to Lonzo Ball. Um, and the reason why is that his agent is his dad. Um, and he forced his way out of Barcelona to go to PSG. He's uh, been there. They haven't won anything. Uh, he's gotten hurt. He's missed big games for them. And to me, he's might be one of the biggest, you know, waste of talent right now that we've seen in, in soccer, at least, in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. He, he can't stay on the field. When he's on the field, he plays his own brand of soccer. He's very tough to, to build a team around. Um, he wants to go back to Barcelona, and I think a lot of that is because he does not want to be the guy. He doesn't want to be the face of the team. He wants to uh, play off of other players. So, I mean, I, I compare him to Alonzo Ball in that situation, but it also kind of reminds me a little bit of Kyrie Irving. Uh, you know, kind of bitched him on his way out of Cleveland, didn't want to play with LeBron, wanted to get out of his shadow, goes to a team where he has the opportunity to be the guy. Uh, gets hurt, you know, sees the team succeed without him, comes back and kind of just uh, backhand compliments everybody else on that team and eventually, you know, he won't be on that team, you know, come October. So, you know, kind of a mix between Kyrie and his attitude and the way that he, you know, approached things and and Lonzo with, you know, his dad being very involved with his day-to-day business life and how, that, how those things occur for him. So, uh, you know, you can kind of mix the two together and you have a, a situation that Neymar has found himself in. Um, talking about Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Why is 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 this a case of, of stars being paid too much money? In a sense, is this almost Neymar being, uh, and, and all these soccer guys whose, whose transfer monies are just absurd, 
just a guy who's basically worked his might, earned his keep, and now is just living the high life and not caring? I don't know if it's that. You know, soccer is one of those sports where, you know, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were talking about, like, the Forbes 100 top-earning athletes, and, you know, the top two athletes um, were, soccer, were soccer players. And no one here really talks about soccer or cares about soccer. But when you're a global sport or a global brand, you need that type of marketing. And that's what these guys really become at the end of the day. You know, met $120 in endorsements. Ronaldo made 70 something million dollars in endorsements. And eventually that trickles back to the club in some way, shape, or form, whether that's jersey sales, merchandise, tickets. Uh, you know, they go on their summer tours, um, you know, for preseason and they expose. In that way, and that's what, what Neymar is. In this day, he's a great marketing campaign for for any soccer team that he's on. Um, so I think when that when that much money is involved and that much exposure is involved, you as an athlete being the best situation possible. You might have to always watch the best situation. I think that's what Neymar thought. Barcelona was not one of the best teams in the world. They was one of the best players in the world. You know, Barcelona's not a bad place to live either. here on teeing it up. Thoughts on the Anthony Davis trade? I thought they gave up a lot to get him. You know, first, four first-round picks. You know, however the NBA works with these picks, I don't have a, a, a clue. But, you know, they gave up a ton of picks for him. Uh, they gave up three players as well. And they're now scrambling to make cap space for another max contract, whether that's Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, whoever that might be. So, I mean, the, the Lakers, I think, are in a situation where they are just like, enough's enough. We've been bad for a while. We need to maximize on LeBron's prime, whatever is left of his prime, and, and make a run here, especially, I think, given that Golden State's kind of in shambles. So the West is going to be an interesting situation next year, not only with the Anthony Davis trade. Utah made an interesting trade this, today. Yeah. Um, Golden State's going to find themselves in a situation where – they could be rebuilding or they could be reloading. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I think for the Lakers, this was a move of win now. We have LeBron for three more years. We have AD for one year at least and maybe even more. And then if we can find another piece that to throw out there, we have a good, a good of a shot as anybody else to win the title. So I can see why they made the move. Um, 
they just need to now capitalize on that move and see what happens. Yeah, um, that was a case of you've got to win during this window for LeBron, and that's a move you had to make, and you get somebody as peak, and now they're trying to be able to acquire somebody, as you said, for the max money. Um, what's the Boston radio sentiment about Kyrie? I mean, they want him gone. They wanted him gone. He is gone. So um, they got their wish there. I think the bigger domino that's fallen has been Al Horford. And you go from a team in the Celtics that was, you know, had a five or six, seven-year window, uh, you know, with the pieces they had going into 2017 with Kyrie coming, Gordon Hayward, Tatum, drafted, you know, drafted, uh, Jalen Brown, some good complimentary pieces that they had. And now two years later, you have nothing left. You have Tatum, Brown, and, and Marcus Smart. So I think Horford is a bigger domino that's fallen, you know, considering uh, the roster that they had. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what Danny Ainge does, you know, where this Boston team fits in the landscape of the East next year and, you know, how they rebound from it. I personally love Jason Tatum and Brown. I think those are two guys that could be number one guys. Uh, Jalen Brown's game reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, an early Kawhi, you know, big, athletic, strong, um, you know, good defender, good rebounder. You know, Kawhi really found his game, you know, a couple of years in um, and has been able to develop, obviously, to one of the best players in the NBA. So Jalen Brown reminds me a lot of him. Uh, whether he reaches that potential, I don't know. But if, you, if you're Boston, you unfortunately have been snake-bitten because uh, the biggest moment in, that, in this franchise's history the last couple of years was that Gordon Hayward injury. And, you know, unfortunately, that is something that can't be rewritten. And I think a lot of what's happened has been because of that injury. And they've been unable now. They weren't unable to capitalize this year on anything they had going. And uh, if they win this year, if they were winning or if they have gotten far, maybe Kyrie's tune changed a little bit. You know, you're able to see that you can play with the players that you have. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. So Boston's left, you know, scratching their head and trying to figure out what their next move is. Talking about uh, talking to Danny Flecka. I don't know if I've had you on since both series ended. Did was last week's show after St. Louis won that title? I think we taped on Wednesday night, which was the the yeah. seven of the Stanley Cup final. So just so just briefly wrapping up your your thoughts on Game Seven of of the SCF and Game Six of the NBA Finals. Yeah, so I mean, Stanley Cup Finals really came down to one play, and that was uh, Brad Marchand right before the end of the first period, dogging it. Uh, you know, on a, on a turnover in the zone, he barely checks the guy, then goes off the ice, allows St. Louis to have an odd, odd man break, and then they score the second goal with like six seconds left before the end of the first period. That was a backbreaker. Boston was never to recover from that, and then unfortunately they lost. Um, and then in Golden State, I mean, that was a hell of a game. Uh, but when you, you know, what was happening, you and I were talking, and, you know, Clay Thompson's unfortunate injury basically healed that game, and, you know, that, that was it. You know, Golden State for five years had some of the best luck, you could say, of any team that's ever played. You know, they, they played Cleveland in the first series back in 2015. No Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving gets hurt at the end of game one, and they're able to take that series. They got Kevin Durant, and he's able to, you know, help them win two titles. 
Um, but unfortunately, this series, everything that could have gone wrong for them went wrong, and, and you know, Toronto was able to capitalize on it with great performances by guys like you know uh, Fred Van Fleet and Kawhi Leonard. So you know, kudos to them for for being able to do that. Yeah, kudos to that. So, uh, kudos to that task. The 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 way that game started with Kyle Lowry was was really impressive, and then obviously, um, you know, Clay going out is a shame, and it changed the whole dynamic of that game. And 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 Fred Van Vliet, Vliet sent them on to a title. Danny, thank you as always for coming on teeing it up with Jeremy Schelling. Anytime, my man. Have a good night. You got it, and thank you all for listening to teeing it up with Jeremy Schilling. <laughs>